Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to Perry Noble's Leadership Podcast. My name is Shane Duffy. I'm the Creative Arts Pastor and I serve on the leadership team at New Spring Church. And this is our second leadership podcast. Last time we talked to you guys about responding to an alarm. So today we want to focus on the source of that alarm, the source of the vision for your church or organization. Obviously, I have with me Perry Noble, and Perry, the first question I have for you is, why is having a specific vision such an important thing for a pastor or a leader? I think you can't lead effectively without a vision, uh, because he, here's here's the trick. If you don't have a vision um, for where the church is supposed to be going, then you can call anything a win. You can call, okay, well, yeah, that's what we intended to do. Well, that many people showed up for that. Well, that's what we intended to do. Well, this is what our church saw happen this year. Well, that's what we intended to do. But a vision, um, I think Andy Stanley defines it as a picture of what could be and should be. When you get when you get that driving you, not only should this be, but this could be if we did this this way, when you get that type of passion and energy driving you, then it forces you to define the win. And I think that's the the problem many times with churches and church leaders is we don't want to define the win, so we'll just say that anything works um, so we don't have to be held accountable. And defining the win, is that important just for staff and volunteers, or is that important for the whole congregation? It's important for the whole congregation uh, because the people showing up every week are showing up um, because they want to be taught, um, they want to be ministered to, but really, they they really do want to be led, and they want to be led well. Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the things that attracted me to the church uh, that I wound up attending, receiving Christ in, um, wasn't the music style, and it wasn't um, it wasn't any of the things that that I think churches focus on too much today. It was there was a man of God in the pulpit or you know the stage or whatever you have in your church today who had a vision and said, this is where I believe our church is going. This is what we're going to accomplish, and this is how I think you fit into this. There was a bigger picture, and I realized that I was a part of something bigger than myself, and that's that's pretty exciting to to just the guy that was sitting in the pew week after week going, man, I, I, need, to, I need to jump in. I need to get involved. That's really neat to hear. I mean, all, I know all of us want to know where we're going. And so defining the win for staff, congregation, or, or in any organization is so important for the leader to do that. Uh, I want to talk just a second about this idea, this even this word vision, because there are some people, uh, especially in the church world, that uh, understand that when you say the word vision, uh, or and understand what that means, but there are some that question this idea of a vision. Why are you okay with that word, or why are you okay with the the phrase having a vision? You know, it's it's so funny. I've I've heard that Shane, and some people go, "Well, the whole idea of having a vision sounds very mystical," and I'm like, "Well, it's um supernatural," and so if you're uncomfortable with the supernatural, then you're probably uncomfortable with, with the Bible. Um, if you're preaching the whole thing, um, I, I, I think a vision is a supernatural thing. If you, in reading through Scripture, there is not one example of a man or a woman that accomplished anything significant that wasn't driven 
by a vision from God. There's not one example. David was driven by a vision. Somebody needs to go whip Goliath's butt. And so he walked down into the valley and did it. Um, Noah was driven by a vision. Somebody needs to build this boat. Doesn't make sense to build a boat. It's never rained. We're in the middle of a flipping desert. Um, I think I'm going to do this. It was a vision. By the way, it saved his life. I would say that Noah would probably say that vision's important. Nehemiah was driven by a vision. Somebody needs to rebuild this wall. I'm sure that the people in Jerusalem had prayed about the wall, gone to Bible studies on how to build effective walls around cities that had been destroyed. Um, expect, but Nehemiah was the guy that actually did it. Uh, I would say Jesus was pretty much driven by a vision. When the Bible says he set his face toward Jerusalem, he didn't do that because of all the warm fuzzies that were going to happen to him there. He was driven by a vision. Um, Paul was driven by a vision when Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, now I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. And then he wound up writing most of the New Testament, but which, by the way, came out of his vision from God. So I would say that a vision is supernatural. And if you don't have a supernatural vision from God, you're probably not going to accomplish anything in the natural that's worth mentioning anyway. That's so true. You know, one of the verses that jumps out to my mind with this idea of vision is Proverbs 29:18 in the in the ESV version. It says, where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint. Other versions says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's talk about how that vision and not perishing or people casting off restraint gets to the people that follow. Why is it, again, why is it so important for the leader to be secure and know the vision as a shepherd over the people? The leader has to know where the church is going. It's kind of like me and my wife and my little girl. If we get in a car and we're driving down the road, um, my wife and my little girl have confidence that me as the leader of the family, that I know where I'm driving that car. And and so because of that, they can get in the car and rest with the confidence that, number one, I'm not going to hurt them in the journey. My, my goal is not to harm them or abuse them. My job as the leader of my family is to put my family in the car and get them to the place where I perceive we need to go. I believe that's the job of a pastor or a leader to lead his church, not to beat his church. A vision is not something that a pastor uses as a baseball bat to beat his church into submission. If he does that, he's a flipping idiot that needs to either go to anger management classes or get a hug from somebody. I'm not sure what the guy needs, but it's, it, the vision is not a baseball bat. It's not a tool to be used um, to, to make people scared. Like, if you don't do this, then obviously you don't love God, and Jesus is probably going to destroy you in your sleep tonight and, and all those things. A vision is something that you can cast that helps people to see this is where our church is going. By the way, if our church goes there, this is what this is how the kingdom of God is advanced. This is how Jesus is exalted. By the way, this is how you benefit personally. And by the way, I want I want to see you become a part of this, not because of how it's going to benefit me, but because of how it's going to benefit you and because of, because of how it's going to benefit the kingdom. Where there is no vision, the Bible says, the people perish, and I believe people are perishing because pastors either have no vision or they have a vision that promotes themselves and not the kingdom of God. Man, that's strong. This is a good place to transition into a clip from Unleash uh, in 2008. And if I could just take this just a second to say Unleash 2010 is coming up on March the 4th of this year, and it is completely sold out. But let me tell you, if you're listening to this and can find a computer, you can log into newspring.cc, and we will broadcast the main sessions live that day. Uh, again, newspring.cc if you want to check out Unleashed 2010 over the web.
So with that, let's go back to where you talked uh, for a couple of minutes on this idea of vision from an Unleashed talk you did in 2008. I'm going to really talk to the senior pastor right here for just a second. Now, the second session today, I'm really going to talk to senior pastor just from my heart. But let me tell you something, senior pastors. Let me, let me tell you something, church leaders. You're only going to know what God wants to do in your church if you spend passionate, uninterrupted time with the Father. Vision does not come from a conference. And vision does not come from a leadership book. Vision comes from you spending time with God and then Him putting a white hot vision in your soul that you don't apologize for. That's where it comes from. And that only comes from time with God. You know the problem with conferences like this? He's going to talk about, yeah, we've already got your money, so I can tell you the problems with it. People will come to a conference like New Spring Church, or we'll go, we'll go to Willow Creek, or we'll go to Fellowship, or we'll go to North Point, or we'll go to these conferences, and we'll come back, and we'll inform our church, we're changing everything. We're going to get some lights. We can't afford lights. We're going to have people with flashlights in the background doing this right here. We're going to get the guitar hero in the lobby. Well, we're going to get we're going to get this stuff and we go back and we tell our churches what we're going to do because we have inspiration but we don't have revelation. And we can be inspired to do this and we can be inspired to do that and we can be inspired and it's not wrong to go to conferences. I'm a conference junkie. I'm usually on the front row. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to get ideas. But understand something. If God didn't tell you to do this, don't do this. You'll screw the whole thing up. You've got to do what God called you to do. You've got to be who God called you to be. And most pastors absolutely suck at being who God called them to be. Perry, in that clip, one of the things you highlight is the importance of uh, passionate and uninterrupted time with the Father. Why is that so important uh, for you personally? You know, Shane, uh, a couple years ago, um, I started this thing where I just read through the Bible every year. And it's it's really stretched me. You know, it's, it seems like every time I I get in the scripture, I just get something new out of it. And so, I, um, and, and every year about the time of Unleash is when I happen to go. I'm I'm just finishing up the first five books of the Bible. And so, th there's a phrase that appeared in um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, um, so often, and Deuteronomy. And the phrase is, "And the Lord said to Moses," and the Lord said to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses. I mean, it's probably in there over a hundred times. And it just really stuck out to me that Moses didn't have a clue what he was doing. One of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, um, arguably the greatest leader in the Bible other than Jesus, didn't have a clue what he was doing. So, so what he did was he made sure that he spent passionate, uninterrupted time with the Father. And the Bible says, and the Lord said to Moses... Do this, say this, lead this way. And that's when it hit me because ever since I became a Christian, I've been pretty passionate about reading my Bible. And um, it's just, I just love God's word, but it just came to me. I was like, wow, vision really does. I mean, it, it comes out of revelation, not just inspiration, because I can be inspired to do something and it might be cute and nice, but God's word 
I mean, God's word should be what drives a man or a woman to accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. And so I just I just realized that, wow, I mean, I think one of the reasons there's a lack of vision in the church is there's a lack of time in the Word of God. And if if we're not doing that as leaders, good gosh, then what are we leading our people to? You know, that reminded me of a, a time, Perry, when we were actually at a conference you spoke at and you were doing a breakout uh, with a room full of uh, senior pastors and teaching pastors and when they, you were asked a question about uh, what is your primary, what's your primary source of messages, and you said they really emerge from my personal devotional time with the Lord. And I watched 200 or 300 pastors literally put their heads in their notes and write it down like it was the most amazing thing they'd ever heard. Why do you think so many church leaders, especially those trusted with teaching God, are drifting away from that time as an important part of what they do every day. Because we don't think God speaks anymore. We don't think he speaks anymore. We we read the Bible and we go, wow, he said some really great stuff. And we don't understand that he's still talking. He's still speaking. He's still revealing himself. Now, I don't, I'm going to stop right here because I know there's some people and you're, I mean, you're just, you're going nuts right now. I'm not saying there's extra biblical stuff out there. The Word of God is the Word of God. When he put the period at the end of the book of Revelation, I mean, I, I'm very leery of somebody that says, God told me X, and you can't match it up with Scripture. That uh, No, God did not say that. Like, God told me I could sleep with my boyfriend. No, he didn't. He did not say that. You're a moron. Um, but I, I'm, So I'm not saying extra biblical. What, but what I'm saying is we don't think that God speaks through his Word anymore. We don't think that God can take a verse or a chapter or a book of Scripture and put it in us and burn it within us and set our hearts on fire and set our minds on fire. We don't believe that anymore. And so we just, I, th- I think we've gotten into a trap where we just believe it's our job every week to entertain people or, or to try to make them happy or to try to get them to enjoy the service. I remember the week I caught myself saying that, like people were, walking in the service and I was like well I hope you enjoy the service today and the the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and was like what if I don't want them to enjoy the service what if I want to disturb them and I was like oh wow I need to quit saying that so I I, I believe that's I believe that's one of the reasons is we just don't think God speaks anymore uh, through his word and uh, we've lost confidence I think leaders have lost confidence in the word of God do you think leaders uh, miss the fact that if they're not hearing from God, their people aren't hearing from God. I mean, how important is it that your personal time with the Lord translates to the people you're leading? Yeah. Well, in, in the church today, um, people, like when I go to Red Lobster, when I go to Red Lobster, I want the fresh cheese biscuits. You know what I'm saying? I don't want the cheese biscuits from last week, and I don't want the cheese biscuits from last month, and I definitely don't want the cheese biscuits from last year. I want fresh Cheese, bring them to me out of the oven so hot that my fingers are injured when I put the cheese biscuit in my mouth. It's the same thing in church. People want fresh bread. People want fresh bread. The Bible says that God's word is living and active. The Bible says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every single morning. So it's not that God's not speaking. It's that we're not listening. In fact, I know just from my own life, it's not that God's not speaking. There's just been times I haven't wanted to hear him because to hear him means that I would need to change. Let's give everybody just a brief history lesson on something very specific. Tell 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 us how God planted the vision for New Spring Church in you. Um, 
wow. It, you know, it's it. I didn't even like church when I got saved uh, because I, everybody seemed fake. And um, and then God told me I was going to work in the church, and so I thought that was a pretty unfair deal that He saved me and then told me what I was going to do. And I was like, well, He, of course, this is this is God. He's going to call me to something that I hate for the rest of my life, and that's who God is. And um, I began to work in the church and actually realized that I I did like it and I did love the church. And so as I began to read um, the Book of Acts, you know, as I re- began to read the Book of Acts. As just a young Christian, I'm like, well, if this is what the church was, then what happened? Because this isn't what the church is. And I just really remember wrestling with that. And so um, I, I kind of, after working in the church for a little while, I was like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to work in the church, and I love the church, but maybe I just need to be an evangelist. And um, and so, and I love seeing people come to Christ, and evangelism is a spiritual gift. And so I just figured I would travel around the United States and the world telling people about Jesus. And... So I was in a church. I was I was in seminary in 1996, and there was a there's a man by the name of James Murray White who pastors Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, and he was teaching an apologetics class, and uh, one of the best one of the best professors I've ever had in my life, hands down. And he did a lesson on. He said, "Tonight I'm going to tell you the greatest form of evangelism in the world." Well, automatically, my, I'm like I'm. I'm on the front row. I'm getting ready to take notes. I'm all interested. The greatest form of and he said the greatest form of evangelism in the world is planting churches. And I thought that I thought planting churches. In fact, earlier that day it was really funny. I'd, I'd heard church planting like one, for one of the first times in my life, and uh, it was from my systematic theology professor, who's now the president of Southeastern Seminary, Danny Aiken. And he said something about planting a church, and I was like, well, why don't you just go into churches and change everything? And he was like, well, there's a word for that. It's called martyr. And and he said, you just don't do that. And he said, then he said this. He said, it's easier to give birth to a baby than it is to resurrect the dead. And so that had happened that afternoon. And that night, here's James Emery White, and he's teaching on church planting. And God wrecked me in 1996. And he wrecked me. And I and I just knew I, right then. I said, I'm, that's, that's what God's called me to do. It was just like, bam. I just knew it. And so uh, now I figured I was going to be 50 when I did it. I didn't figure it was going to be a few years later, but that was like the hit. That was how God burned that vision in me. He was like, okay, you've got a passion for evangelism that I put in you, by the way, and you've got the gift of leadership, which, by the way, I put in you. And then he introduced me to something I never had thought about before and set my heart on fire, and it's been on fire ever since. Well, that's true. I, I can attest to that for sure. Let me ask you this. As the... That vision, that original vision, this idea of planning a church and, and, and how to do it, um, has that changed over the years? The vision has not changed. How we implement the vision and how we accomplish it has changed a lot. Um, the vision has not changed. I wanted to build a church that exalted the name of Jesus, and we saw people come come to Christ. I mean, our vision statement right now is to make the name of Jesus famous one life at a time. And that's that's been the vision since day one, and it has not been Compromised now, like I said, how we've done it—that's like the how. That's got to change. That's got to change, or you wind up becoming the pastor of the church that you hate. Which, you know, if you've been if you've been the pastor of the church more than three or four years and you hate the church, I mean, you you got to look in the mirror to blame who whose fault that is. I mean, so I so how we accomplish it has changed a lot, but the the vision's never changed, and it never will. You planted this church in the year two thousand. And started with, you know, a handful of people, um, and here we are 10 years later. Has 
anyone in any of that time ever try to derail the vision or take it another way or hijack the vision, however you want to say that? Absolutely. Um, Give me a couple of examples. Okay. Uh, when we first started the church, and we were meeting in a guy's living room, and this guy's a great guy, and him and his wife were at the time given 65% of the budget. They were they were pretty wealthy, in other words. Uh, it might it might have been 70%. Or maybe we should say 70%. It sounds like more. Anyway, they were given between 65 and 70% of the budget, and they had a specific vision for the church. They thought the church was going to go in one direction, and we weren't going in that direction. And I, I still don't know why they thought the church was going in that direction. I have no idea why. And so in January of 2000, we met in their living room for three months. October, November, December of 99, we met in their living room. In January 2000, they called me over to their house. It was a Wednesday night, in fact. And um, they shared with me. And, and, and they were very godly about it. They they didn't attack me. They never attacked our church. They never badmouthed our church. But they just said, this is, you know, we the church obviously is heading in this direction. And we feel called to be a part of a church that does this. And so because of that, we don't think we're going to be able to be a part of it. And they... You know, right there, there was a test. It was like, um, all right, this is this is the money, this is the budget, this is the. I mean, these are the people writing the checks. Um, and at the time, we didn't have any of those hardly. And you know, I I never ever I can honestly say I never ever said, oh my gosh, would you please stay and we'll change and we'll. I I think it was God testing me very early um, about our vision. The the second one that pops in my mind. Well, some very good friends of mine, uh, when we were meeting at the Fine Arts Center at Anderson University and we were building this building, they were very much against us building this building. And they were friends. Um, look, my wife and I, uh, Lucretia, we, we had meals with them. We, we hung out with them. And they wound up getting very upset that we were building the building and leaving the church and saying that the church was going to fail and it wasn't, wasn't going to succeed. And they wanted us to do X, Y, and Z. And I was just like, you know... We're going forward with this thing. God has never called the church to be in retreat mode, and um, they they wanted to change things. And we said, you know, we're we're going to do what God's called us to do. And they left, and it hurt. But um, man, I, I don't I don't regret either one of those decisions because God God called us to stick to the vision that He called us to stick to. So I mean, for the guy out there that is is hearing you say that, those couple of examples, and I know there's there's many more we could talk about. But it, but how are you able to resist that change? You got you got the money, you got great friends, you've got a situation where people that you thought probably at the time were going to be with you till this thing was over, if it ever ends, and yet you were able to resist that attempt to hijack the vision. How did you do that? Um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells me that I'm going to be held accountable by God one day. Like there's going to be a day where I stand in front of a holy God and I answer for how I led this church, um, what I did and what I didn't do. And I just got to be able to do that with a clear conscience. Like I've got to, I, like I know that day's coming. Like that day is coming. It is going to happen. And I've got to know with all my heart that when I um, stand in front of, of the one who saved me and called me, man, I've got to know that I did my best to please him. And so I, you know, I'm. You're gonna have to resist change because here's the thing: 
everybody that walks in the door of your church has a great vision for your church. Everybody. Um, God loves you, and they have a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, that's everybody. And, and here's, the, here's the other thing, Shane. Um, we've had some really great ideas brought to us by some very well-intentioned people who it wasn't a bad idea. It's not, hey, it's not a bad idea to do that. It's not a bad idea to accomplish that. It's just not in the specifics. If a church tries to be everything to all people, they will wind up being nothing to no one. And and so we just got to do what God's called us to do. We can't do everything, but we can do what God called us to do. That, that brings a, a a question to my mind. Uh, let's say you have somebody who's a, a a part of the church, great members, giving, serving, the whole nines, and they come to you with what is a great idea. It's a kingdom-minded idea, or it's a good idea for the community, but yet it doesn't fit specifically in what the church wants to underwrite. How do you lead that person there? How do you direct them? What do you say to them that doesn't kill the good idea but doesn't say their only way to accomplish what God's given them is through the church? Right. You've got – I think if a person comes forward and they've got that vision and that passion and it's not going to be accomplished through your church, that there's an obligation on the church leadership to steer that person in the direction to where that particular burden can be accomplished. Um, you know, because some, some people have a good idea and then some people have a burden and a good idea will pass away. Um, a burden will actually grow inside of us. And so when a person really does have a burden where it's like, man, if I don't do this, I'm going to die and I can't do this in the church. Then I think the church is responsible for steering them in a direction where they can fulfill what they perceive to be God's calling on their life. You know, um, something that also just came to mind in regards to vision and a, and a leader's vision are many churches, a lot of guys and gals that are listening to this are going to be a part of an organization where it is a not a staff-led church. Sure. And they are going to be, they were voted in by committee or board or whatever, and so they have what they feel is a fresh vision going into a, something they didn't give birth to. Is there a word you could give them to how they can fight to hold on to the vision in and up against a situation where you may have many, many people uh, in the church hierarchy that's coming against them. Yeah, you got to, you got to walk people through that. You, you got to walk them through it. You got to be patient with them. Um, one of the things I really do believe in is the structure of authority. And I, I know that the way many churches are organized um, are not biblical, first of all, and they're really jacked up. But if that's the structure that God has called you to work in, then you've got to work in that structure. And to rebel against that structure is to rebel against scriptural authority. And when you do that, um, it, well, it just, in the Bible, it just never goes good for those people. And so I would tell a person, all right, you've got this vision and passion from God, um, and the deacons are saying no. Well, then the answer is no. And they will stand before God one day and be held accountable. They will answer for that. You are under authority, and so you're not going to be held accountable for that. The other thing, and I heard Andy Stanley say this the other day, and it was so good. He said, don't – something along the lines, and I'll probably screw this up, but he said something like, don't let your moral imperatives get get confused with scriptural principles. 
like just because you really do feel like something needs to happen, it's not equal with seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so um, I would I would just tell that person to have honest conversations, genuine conversations, be respectful. Bible tells us to be gentle. I mean, don't scream at these people and call them idiots. And if they say no, then the answer is no, and they'll be held accountable. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up uh, this session. Ultimately, Perry, who's responsible if the vision is compromised? I think the senior pastor and the primary team of leaders that he has around him. Um, I think ultimately, the, like I said, I, I feel like the leader is going to be held accountable to God. And there's some there's some leaders that don't think that. And that's going to be a great day for those guys. Um, but I, I think also the leadership team, the, the, the pastor, whatever structure that is, if it's deacons, if it's elders, if it's staff-led or whatever, I, I think that that team is responsible because I think one of the things that – one of the gifts that God gives us as leaders is each other. And there's just some days, man, I walk into a leadership team meeting and I've got a bad idea. I mean, and I think it's a great idea. I don't know if it's a bad idea. I think it's a great idea, and everybody around the table looks, you know, they've got what I call um, – I'll just call it fart face because that's exactly what it is. It, it, they, it, they just have the wrinkled noses, and I'm like, wow. And uh, fart face is not a theological term. Uh, but th- they, they have that look on their face, and I'm like, wow, this must not be a good idea. If they let me go through thinking that that idea is a good idea and all of them think it's a bad idea, man, those guys those guys aren't leaders. They're followers. You know what I'm saying? So I I just I think – ultimately the leadership team of a church whatever that leadership team is is ultimately responsible if the vision goes bad and that's strong that that's that sounds like a good uh, topic for a conversation and in, in a, a follow-up uh, podcast uh, before we wrap up perry i just wanted to give you one more opportunity to say a word of encouragement or challenge uh, to the leaders who are listening to this today in regards to vision and maybe especially for the for the for the leaders who have gotten away from what they know God's asked them to do, when they've gotten away from their original vision for whatever reason, it's been compromised in some way. What would you say to those people to encourage them to get back on course? The the thing that God taught me in two thousand five, when I nearly died, was that my time's very limited. It's very limited. Um, one of the jokes, and it's not really a joke, but I've shared with you guys at leadership table that I don't believe I'll, I'll see 60 and it always freaks you guys out. You're like, don't say that. Don't say that. But I'm, I probably won't be leading this church when I'm 60 anyway, because I'll be too old. We'll have to get a young guy in here. Um, but I, I really do think, um, like for me, I'm 38. I really do believe I've lived over half my life. I really do. And viewing life through scripture, cause scripture says life's a vapor. And, you know, and we don't have long on this earth. Um, we can't we can't screw around with this thing. God didn't call us to be a leader in the church um, so we could run around pleasing people and drawing a salary and trying to make everybody happy. God called us to lead um, and he expects us to lead. And so I would I would say to the leader um, that maybe has compromised is do you want to be a prostitute or a prophet? Because a prostitute is someone who's paid for a service to make someone feel better about themselves. Um, but a prophet is somebody that will stand up and go, thus saith the Lord. And if and if he gets stoned or sawed in half or killed or excluded or exiled, 
he's okay with that because at the end of the day, he knows that he did everything he could to honor the one who saved him and called him and will sustain him. And that's good. Well, we're going to uh, wrap up this session. And just remember, Perry Noble Leadership Podcast is where we serve fresh cheese biscuits. Yes. And we have no fart faces. Amen. Y'all take care. We'll see you next time.